Hello, welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market M&A and Private Equity in Canada. My name is Mario Negro. I'm a partner at Steichman Elliott in the M&A and Private Equity Group. Our guest today is Damien Peluso. Damien is a partner, Transaction Services at KPMG. Damien, thank you and welcome for joining us. Thank you, Mario. Damien, I want to start by just asking a little bit about yourself. Uh, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about you, what you do uh at KPMG, a little bit of the transaction services group, and and love love to learn a little bit more about you and your practice. Sure, thanks, Mary. And again, thank you for having me uh, on this podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, so I'm a partner in our transaction services group at KPMG. Uh, we focus on helping our clients both on the buy and sell side of M&A transactions. Uh, both uh, sponsors and corporate clients uh, make up. Uh, the majority of our of our uh, clients, and we focus uh, in in many industries. There isn't um, you know there isn't a primary focus. We do transactions not only in Canada but globally as well. Our services involve uh, financial due diligence, operational due diligence, uh, tax due diligence, uh, IT, HR. Uh, we basically support our clients' uh, due due diligence process and work alongside. Um, people like yourself on the legal side, as well as the, the technical side as well. I've been doing this for, uh, for quite a long time, started in 2000 back in Europe, and uh, now been uh, focused 100% of my time on M&A transactions. Obviously, the pandemic has changed so many elements of people's practices, and, and one of the ones I think that's been probably uh, affected extensively is due diligence on transactions. So, you know, traditionally... When we think about due diligence, at least financial due diligence, there was uh, an element of the physical, you know, physically going on site, physically meeting uh, companies and, and working on on site. I mean, how how has have you and how has the transaction services group, uh, your group responded to, to COVID when it comes to doing due diligence? What's what's changed? Uh, and and frankly, what? What's never coming back? Like, where is there anything about the practice of due diligence on M and A transactions that you think has uh, has evolved because of COVID? Um, well, I think I think that the one thing that's changed quite a bit, obviously, is you know one of the things. The first things we would do on any deal is we want to see the asset. So physically being there, walking the floors, meeting people. Uh, that's changed changed dramatically. Um, you know, I, I think that that will come back. Uh, I think that what what will not come back, or at least not to the extent it used to be, is um, you know where we would work primarily at the client's location or the target's location. I think we, it's been proven that the majority of our work can be done offsite. Um, you know, whether you're at home or in the office, you know, offsite uh, work is. is has proven to be uh, doable. I think that, you know, one of the things that we're seeing on almost all our deals, and I think Mary, you and I have talked about this quite a bit, is that it is taking longer. Due diligence processes are taking longer. I think uh, the primary reason is, uh, you know, you never being in front of someone and having meetings face to face, the efficiency of that is not seen when you're off site. I think a lot of the Q&A where we would have uh, face-to-face is now, as we all know, is not in person and it's videos and calls that's taken a little bit longer. The actual transfer information 
Now, although data rooms were not something uncommon, I think now uh, it's taking a bit longer because we're demanding a lot more in terms of diligence. Um, and I think the other thing that we're seeing a lot uh, more of is just understanding the financial impact that a pandemic or something similar to this could have on a company. It's, it's, it's unprecedented, right? So there, there are a lot of focus areas that we, uh, that we look at when we're at, in, in diligence. And that, that was one of the points I wanted to focus on that you t already touched on, Damien, is even the way you look at companies and you do your diligence. I mean, I've seen it, you know, with the COVID, we call them the COVID questions, you know, people focusing on certain elements of the business and how they've been affected by COVID. But I wanted to get a sense from you what, what, what else has changed in terms of the kind of questions that you ask, you know, the type of diligence that you do, what you're looking for. Because I, I've definitely noticed, I mean, the obvious one is what I call the COVID questions. But but even in the last year and a half, other questions have come up in financial diligence. I noticed the clients are more keen about, they want to know more about, that they, maybe in the past they were less focused on. I'm curious if, you could, if you've seen that and what you've seen in your practice in terms of, you know, changes in the kind of focus of clients. And obviously the obvious ones I call the COVID questions are, but but even other ones you've seen that just have evolved over the last year and a half. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's in terms of COVID, you know, we we in the financial due diligence world and the infamous uh, quality earnings report, right there, you know, you want to understand what has impacted this the particular business during the pandemic, right? Uh, you know, sh for example, should should buyers accept certain COVID addbacks uh, that the that the sellers present, you know? But but I think some of the things that even though they're related to COVID, I think now um, you know going forward, it's going to start changing on how people uh, people look at companies and doing diligence. For example, to what extent have the core fundamentals, you know, like competitive pressures or internal or external factors really impacted the business. And, and in particular to COVID, you know, there's been a drop in revenue and profits in certain businesses. Well, is that purely related to COVID or, or is it related to other factors? You know, we, we also emphasize, you know, how, how should leadership teams validate and get comfortable with the target company uh, if we're on the buy side in terms of economic recovery and rebound? What's their plan? What are some of the pro forma projections? What are the priority initiatives, right? And spend like what? Where? What are they looking for tomorrow, really, than than today? Because, you know, investors have been more concerned when we're doing diligence now. Where, as you know, Mary, historically, uh, pre-COVID, you know, our work has been what is you know historical multi, um, uh, quality of earnings. You know, what are the multiples attached to that? But investors today have been much more concerned, as they have in the past. But they're much more concerned about. What is the expected future performance? Not look, not focus on 2020, because you know that, as we know, that we're, we're considering that as a one-time event. But assuming the next 12 months, you know, will they be more stable than than much of 2020? And looking forward, and those multiples, such as the next 12 months, we think are what most people should be looking at. David, when you consider, you know, the the kind of just the general evolution of financial diligence, I've I've noticed, and particularly in the last year and a half, it used to be um, clients would really go through a very systematic process. You know, they would they would really spend a lot of time on telling you to work up a full blown report. You know, very detailed. But it I noticed as time evolves, it's changed. It's it's less formal, more real time. 
And I wonder if that's been, you know, further em- emphasized by COVID. Like I, I'm finding in financial diligence where we used to wait for financial diligence to take three or four weeks. It's almost becoming almost real time findings with clients now. It's not as much about waiting for the quote unquote final report. And I, I wanted to get a sense from you in terms of, of when you do your financial diligence, have you noticed that element of it where it used to be all about the final report where now it seems almost like it's real time feedback your real-time reporting and real-time adjusting your your work to reflect where clients are at? That's a great question, Mario. I, I think that pre-COVID, I, I would, you know, I, I would have said to you, we do that. We try and do that. Uh, we always try to keep, you know, especially, uh, uh, you know, during deals, if, if a deal breaker or deal issue came up, we want we don't wait until the end. We want to make sure that we deal with it up front. And it's, it's always top of mind for our clients. However, I think, I think, it has changed um, and I can get into, you know, the type of deliverables that have changed, but more importantly, I think we are finding that we have more time with our clients. Um, I think, you know, it's always a Monday. It's always a Tuesday. So people are always available now because they're working from home and offline. Um, you know, the, the dinners of past, the lunches of the past and going out for social events that doesn't happen as much. So more people are more, uh, more online and, and working more so we do we do see us talking to our clients a lot more and much more often during deals whereas you know the the update in the past pre-covid was once a week uh with some of my clients um we're talking you know three or four times a week depending on the deal and depending you know how, how available they are which which i believe they're much more available now during covid and in terms of deliverable you you know this as because you and I have worked together, but the deliverable of the you know crossing the T's and dotting the I's and that pretty PowerPoint presentation it's still done. However, we now are seeing that especially on the sell side, the Excel for example, the Excel format or the simple schedule, which you know can be done a lot quicker and getting to the point because. Due diligence, because sorry, M and A is much more competitive. There's a, a lot more, as you know, the activity in the market is is quite high. Um, we are we are adapting to that and delivering products that are still very useful and very informative. However, quicker to get to the table. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Damien, that definitely seems is is part of kind of financial due diligence is, is the kind of you know seller financial due diligence, and we see it in larger deals, but it's more and more starting to become even a factor in middle market deals. And and I wanted to get your sense of how common you think seller financial diligence will become as a kind of strategy for a seller to kind of you know get the company ready for a sale and get it. You know, we've definitely seen more of it. Is is it becoming uh, now a new part of the sell side process? So uh, five years ago, um, I would say our work was split probably 75% buy side and 25% sell side. I think purely on uh, volume, it's probably 50-50 now, if not more sell side. Uh, I think I think the culture here in Canada has changed a lot. We're in, in Europe uh, and in the U.S., it was much more acceptable uh, about five, six years ago. I think it's a standard now. I, I don't know of any. I don't know of many deals, um, you know, that where there isn't an advisor present on the sell side. And, and in terms of sell side reports and sell side diligence, I think in deals, you know, over a hundred million VV, I think there is a pretty standard 
process. I think the advantage to both the buyer and the seller is uh, efficiency. You you know you already have um, the information available once you start. You already had someone going in to ensure the information reconciles for the seller and, and for the buyer. Uh, for that sake, it's a lot of credibility is added to uh, the inf financial information, and not only for the the client, but also for the investment banker who's who's uh, you know presenting and and telling the story and selling the company. The other thing is uh, the big selling point and the big value add to the seller is there's no surprises. Uh, you know, Mario, uh, the last thing you want on a deal is when you're negotiating and the buyer starts due diligence, the last thing you want is a surprise where you know you presented your financial information and, and the normalized EBITDA, if we take that as an example, a certain way, and you the buyer comes in and finds something. Uh, this is all pre-packaged. You know, the buyer's still gonna come in and do their due diligence, but when you have a third party preparing an analysis, like I said earlier, it adds credibility, but at the same time, it speeds the process up. Do you think, Davian, I mean, given the cost of sell-side diligence, do you think it's going to become more of a factor for even smaller mandates? Do you think it'll it'll become even more accepted as time goes on? Just the efficiency argument will overtake the cost for the for even a smaller sale mandate. Is it is it that much of a benefit to have that it outweighs the cost? Absolutely, Mary. I think I think that now obviously from a cost perspective for the our clients. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta weigh that. But I think that even, even transactions of $10 million, um, you know, when we go in and do our analysis, identifying, you know, on a, a multiple of call it well, today, you don't know what multiples are, but let's use a multiple of eight, even on a small transaction, you find a, you know, a, a 10, you know, a, let's call it $20,000 adjustment. That's, you know, $160,000. I mean, that's a lot of money to some of these transactions. So I think that it will be a cost effective, I think, to a smaller scale. I think the deliverable will be different, which we know is different we're doing. And I think a sell-side advisor in the work that we're doing may not deliver a, you know, full-scale due diligence report sell-side, but will act as an advisor for the seller. And don't forget, Mario, that, you know, these companies that are, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million in terms of EV or, or, or purchase price may may seem small to some of the larger ones, 150 million. But when a private equity is going in to do a bolt on, um, having a QV report on the other side is very, very efficient for them and very comforting. Damien, I know you, uh, like all of us, have been experiencing this just very strong environment for deal flow. And obviously, you're seeing it at the front end on the financial diligence side. I wanted to get your sense, and I call this the crystal ball question of, you know, where you think this market is going? What do you, what does it mean for your practice? What, 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 what do you think the future holds? It is the crystal ball question. So feel free to yeah, yeah, <laughs> provide your crystal ball answer, but wanted to get your perspective as you're living it and you're, well, you know, right in the middle of this, you know, strong market that we're in right now for deal flow and M&A activity. Where do you think this all goes, uh, and and you know how how do how do you think this is going to work out? Particularly as you see so many sellers um, out there. So Mary, I'm sitting at a, a wooden desk, so I'm going to knock on wood. But um, we internally here, uh, we we think that it's going to we're going to be a, 
busy as we are for at least another six to 12 months, uh, you know, leading towards the 12 months, we, we see a continued amount of pipeline, lots of activity. We're getting calls from, you know, not just sponsors, but also our audit clients. Um, I, I think that with the, the way the, uh, the capital markets are, I think, I think that with the low, the low cost of capital, uh, continuing. Uh, again, it's not a crystal ball. I, I don't know how long this is going to last, but uh, we are we are assuming internally uh, and and positioning ourselves to support that for at least the next the next twelve months. We uh, we think that it's going to continue, and I think the the impact of succession that's that's going on. I think the fact that you know PEs. Are, are going to continue to invest. They don't, they don't want to sit on uninvested capital. Um, I think the 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 involvement SPACs are having. Um, I think that you know right now we're we're working with companies that are uh, are getting through COVID are actually flourishing during COVID. There's going to be a time where uh, hopefully some of the, the 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 pandemic hit industries like restaurants, retail, hospitality, travel. The buyers are going to be aggressively looking and they're going to be looking at those assets as well. And they're going to be looking for, you know, what people call deal or what they're thinking of deals. But I think that's going to continue. I think there's a wave. This wave is going to continue. If we just look at the U.S. and what's happening there, I think with their capital markets and, and the interest rates there and what, you know, with uh, change in power there, I think that that's going to continue. And we we are assuming that this wave will continue, like I said earlier, for at least 12 months. Damien, I want to thank you. I really appreciate you joining us today. It's been uh, super interesting to hear about life on the front lines and financial diligence and, and what you've been working on and some of the trends you've been seeing. Um, Damien Peluso, partner at KPMG and the Transaction Services Group. Damien, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mario.